This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Balls, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined by Lindsay Smith, also in Dunedin, but the other side of Dunedin. Welcome. Thank you very much, Sam. Yep, we're over here in Shield Hill, um, bathed in sunshine at the moment, which is what Shield Hill often is. And how's things going in your bubble? Look, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say that they're going surprisingly well. Um, we, we started off incredibly nervously. My wife, Joan, and I were at home, and our son, um, like Alexa's son, in fact, um, was in Japan and was a ski instructor. Um, and, in fact, he's due home tomorrow, um, was, was the original plan. And when it all started to, to break up and, and the ski field was, was announced that it was shutting, um, then suddenly the panic to try and get him home. And, and I have to say it was most horrible two or three days of my life. Um, you know, you check online and, and um, all the tickets were not available or that flight had cancelled and, and just the absolute powerlessness of trying to get someone home um, and, and a three-hour wait at the end of the line to try and talk to someone at Air New Zealand. Um, so when he got home, um, I, I have to say, whatever happened after that um, was minor compared to that sort of detail. <laughs> But having said that, we went through a, a sort of a, a nervous stage. My daughter, um, Zavette, in Central Otago, and one of her work associates um, tested positive, um, and Bex came down with, the, um, you know, as, as if she had the disease and was tested, but came negative. So there was, you know, we've had our ups and downs, but at the moment, um, it's good. Yeah. And you're working from home. You'd work from home anyway. Yeah, well, I retired five and mumble years ago. Um, and, and so this um, bit of the basement, which um, we converted and put some wall linings around, and has been my office for the last five years anyway. So for me, this is quite normal. It's certainly not normal for my wife, Joanne, who um, works for Otago University, um, one of the admin um, team at, at Taroa College. And she came home uh, three weeks ago. So we have um, an office set up in the lounge and one in the basement. Um, and so she's doing all her work um, from our lounge at the moment, um, which, which, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to sort of meet for morning tea and, um, and then take a break at 12 for lunch and, and do all those sort of boring things, which I don't normally do. But, yeah. but someone that's retired, you seem to work a lot. I love it. I love it. And in fact, it's, it's one of the neat things in life in that, you know, you work all the way through, and I can remember in the 30s and 40s saying, oh, God, I can't wait till I retired. And then you, in your 50s, you start to think, well, I hope I enjoy it. I mean, I, I hope that this isn't just boring and I 
And you hear stories of people that retired at 65 and by 66 they're dead of boredom or something or other. Um, but for me, I have to say I've loved every minute of retirement. It, it's, it's great in that it allows you to do selfish stuff that you couldn't do when you were the primary income earner and and just things like stretching yourself. And, and a couple of things I just mentioned that really stuck home to me. Um, I did my bachelor's degree at 60 um, and, and had some offer um, to, of assistance to, to do a master's. Um, so I completed my master's at 70. And I think that's an absolute treasure for me to have had the luxury of, of spending two years of my retirement um, almost as a full-time student. And I could spend hours reading through stuff and exploring theories of this. And it was just absolutely magic. And the other thing that I really enjoyed was um, first term last year, um, King's High School approached me. I'd done a bit of remedial reading work and things with them, asking if I could go along as a, um, a teacher's assistant for a term, the, the one that had, had, had a health challenge. And, and I went, for goodness sake, I'm you know, a grumpy old <laughs> granddad. I mean, I'm not going to make it. Well, I, I loved every minute of it. It was just wonderful to see the education system in action. Um, and, and as you know, Sam, I, I stood for the Opportunities Party at the last election, and, and education was one of the things I was very hot on. And, and to see some of my um, concerns confirmed, I mean, I still think NCA is a dreadful, dreadful thing to do to kids and, and teaching kids to think in smaller and smaller boxes so that we can mark them more and more accurately. I think that's a stupid thing to do. But I have to say that the thing that... Um, really struck me was the passion of the teachers you know and you hear a lot about it and you hear a lot of grumping about this and that and the other thing but some of the kids and particularly I guess classes that had um, a teacher's assistant in them you know with some challenging kids they, they had difficult difficult family circumstances and life circumstances and all sorts of things and teachers put hours and hours and hours of work into trying to do the best they could for these kids and and for me, it was a real privilege to spend that term there. And it changed what I thought of teachers a lot. Um, but it also reinforced a lot of my, I think, um, thinking around the value of education. And, and, and in fact, doing my own master's, it um, was one of the things I looked at was, you know, what's education for? And, and the key thing that's, that came into my mind was um, the work that was done at about 1900 is education to teach someone to do a specific task absolutely accurately um, and a very fine, defined task, or do we teach kids um, how to be good citizens? And I think we've gone so much down the path of a smaller and smaller task, and let's teach these accurately and measure them accurately, rather than focusing on teaching people to be good citizens. And I'd love to see us go back to that. So that's my joy of retirement. <laughs> So I asked you for some music choices, and you came up with ones that, that tell me that they, they show your age. Let's start with the Beach Boys, Good Vibrations. Why would you like this one? Well, well, it's just, I, I guess, you know, when you're thinking about where we are and, and how we're feeling at the moment and, and what's going on, to me, this is a song that's got huge memories of absolute good times, of simple... I was, in fact, my son's age, um, and I can remember the most wonderful night on the mouth of the Kakanui River. A whole lot of us young kids in someone's parents' whale boat, and I'm not sure where it came from, all rowing up the river, 
singing good vibrations. And it was just to me, when I think of, of simpler times, when I think of getting together with groups of people with not a lot around you, but just focusing on having a good time, this is the one song that comes to mind time and time again. I, I love the colourful clothes you wear And the way the sunlight plays upon her hair getting out and getting some exercise i am i am i've I just i've really enjoyed it i mean we started off with some walks around the block and um 
And one of the joys of living at Shield Hill is that every walk around the block, you've got a choice of going up uh, first and then down, <laughs> or going down first and then up. So um, every walk's about 150 vertical metres um, of climbing. It doesn't matter which walk you go on. Um, so that's been neat, and, and um, I've enjoyed using my watch just to see how many metres I can do in a day. Um, and getting back on my bike, um, that, that was been a, a big thing for me. I, um, I got an e-bike a couple of years ago, and, and it's just an absolute treasure um, to be able to explore the, particularly the, the local area around the hills here. And if you're feeling really tired at the end of it and you've got to come up every street, um, which is pretty tense, <laughs> you just put it on turbo and pedal up the hill and it, it, it turns the, the, the bike ride into a... So, yes, the exercise has been good. I, I've, um, I've enjoyed it and I've enjoyed I think more than anything else, this whole new dynamic that's happening around our community. If there are hundreds of people out taking family walks, and 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 it's just lovely to see how we've reclaimed our city um, for people. And and I was biking the other day, going up um, Highcliffe Road, which is sort of quite a steep road, and it's quite narrow in places. And there was someone coming down the hill on um, a bike. There were some people walking up the hill. So I just simply pulled onto the wrong side of the road on my bike. And the car that was coming up the hill behind me just slowed right down while I gave them their nice two-meter passing and, and two wave. Everybody was happy as we were passing. I thought, yes, that's the way it should be. The roads and, and our cities for our people, not for necessarily big steel boxes of cars. Do you think it'll stick? Uh, it's my dream. I, I just... <laughs> It's my dream. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou na mihi araha nui, kia koutou ko tahua hau. I hope you're all having the best day in your beautiful beloved bubbles. I'm so grateful and excited to have some more time with you. Thank you for having me. So I know that we are all enjoying this time of learning and growth and discovery and exploration and adventure together in this new realm in this new world that we're creating together and a really important aspect of our lives that we're learning more about is how to best care for ourselves and really bring the best aspects of ourselves forward so that we can contribute all of those unique skills that we've brought with us into this world as a miraculous species of animal connected to all other life in an infinite web. So something I thought that we could really explore together today is diving and delving into the realm of solitude and the gift of solitude that we're being given at the moment and what it means to choose that gift, to accept that gift, take that gift and enjoy all the opportunities that that gift provides for us. So... We've spoken a lot about how connected we are and how this phase in our evolution, we have developed so many tools and so many technologies to allow us to communicate with each other and connect with each other. And we're becoming more and more aware and more and more connected to other life at this time as well, which is fantastic. It's also important for us to allow ourselves to feel the love and support that surrounds us at all time, not just from those living now, but from those that have come before us and those that will come after us. 
And whilst feeling loved and supported by that infinite web, we can really enjoy the opportunity to choose solitude. And when we choose solitude for ourselves, what this means is that we're giving ourselves the time and the space to really tune into ourself, our true essence, our deep knowing within that presence that is with us at all times. And when we take that time to really tune in just to ourself in isolation, what we find is that this is a great way for us to reconnect with our creative energy and really call forward our creative energy. Now my other mother, Ginny, who I've spoken with you about, already helping me to experience that sense of love at a distance, really encouraged me when I was 18 and I came back from the UK to New Zealand to practice choosing solitude, taking that time for myself. And this is something that she had done a lot as a teenager that really helped her. And she would go camping and what she would find is that after a few days she had gone beyond language and the chatter of her mind had subsided and she was able to be completely present, completely accept all her surroundings and have a sense of that eternal realm where there is no beginning, there is no end. And in this way, she would return home to herself. And this was an important part of her self-care. And when she got to that point of having gone beyond language, she would know she could return to the hustle and bustle of the construct and the creation of the human world. And she would have found some peace and some emotional resilience to do her best in this world. So gradually, the more she practiced this, choosing solitude and finding the peace therein, she didn't need to go camping anymore. She could just find that sense of stillness at will. So I'd really encourage us all to enjoy this learning process. I know it's really, really helping me at the moment. And what you might find is when you do choose solitude whilst feeling deeply supported and loved, it's a great opportunity to really rest and recharge. You're just giving that time to yourself and going within, letting go of any sense of responsibility or role-playing and the various stories that we create and identify with in our lives. Really letting go of any pressure in terms of the past, the future. Just really fully engaging with yourself and yourself alone. Right here, right now, in the present moment. I hope that you'll feel a sense of release and a sense of peace and a sense of calmness and happiness and freedom and spaciousness and joy. And I hope that you will remember that this opportunity to feel those things is always there for you whenever you choose the gift of solitude. So I'm really loving our time together and I'll look forward to talking with you more tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're the, is it the chair of the President. New Zealand Alpine Club? President. President. Yep, President for life. You know what we think about presidents at the moment. <laughs>
Yeah, there are good ones and bad ones. And that's got employees. How's that going? Yeah, it's 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 been wonderful. I mean, it, just a bit of background. Um, the Alpine Club about three or four years ago had a review of of how it was um, governed um, because it it had largely grown up um, with a whole lot of old men running the club um, to keep it going the way it had always gone, and and clearly there's some some tensions and some things not working so well. So October last year, the first fully elected board took over um, in a fully governance role um, and tried to sort of over the last few months get in place a more traditional style of, of governance, if you like. Um, so you've got a board which provides guidance and support for the staff and the staff get on and do their job without um, odd people sort of sticking their fingers in here, there and everywhere. And so. There's been some wonderful challenges coming out of it. And one of the ones that really has impressed me out of this whole, whole COVID thing is how well the staff, and it's only a small team, but how well they've responded to some dreadful, dreadful pressures. I mean, you can't imagine a business probably more affected um, in lots of ways than that absolutely everything we do stopped cold one night. So our entire income's gone, everything's gone. All the things that people pay their membership to join the club for, you know, to get out of the mountains and stay in our huts, and um, even to the extent that we've spent a lot of money um, printing our quarterly um, climate magazine, and it is quite a lot of money, um, but because magazines are not counted as um, essential services, quite rightly, um, they're all sitting in a storeroom somewhere in Christchurch. Oh, no. Um, and, and so... You know, people just not even getting the magazine they've paid for. Um, but it's just, I mean, the things like, so the staff said, okay, well, let's put it online um, as a PDF in, in high quality and we'll post it out when we can post it out. Things like our um, every section and, and the sections right throughout New Zealand and Australia who all belong to the Alpine Club. And we meet monthly um, with a guest speaker to talk. And, and of course, all that stopped. You can't do that. So for the last, three weeks, we've been putting our um, monthly talks online um, and doing them live like this. And it's just been outstanding um, because normally what would happen is Dunedin, you know, the Otago section would have their talk and you know, it might be 20 or 30 people come along and Wellington would have their talk. But people that were in um, Tikawiti or um, Twizel, um, who are Alpine Club members, never got to go to a talk because there wasn't one in their area. So suddenly, all our talks now are international. In fact, the one we did the other night, um, my son talked about coming back from Japan. Um, we had people from Japan, from Korea, um, and instead of having sort of 20 or 30 people onto the talk, um, there was 1,400 people logged on, and you go, oh, this is interesting. You know, is this, is this a completely new dynamic? Is this a completely new way of talking to our... So instead of just Otago people talking to Otago speakers and having a talk once a month, we've got to talk now once a week. Um, so tonight, after, um, I think the, the guest speakers um, from Nelson um, and was going to be talking to the Wellington section and now, of course, is talking to the world. So it, it's been wonderful watching the staff respond um, to the pressures of, of what's happened. Are the mountains looking after themselves? Well, I don't know. 
I don't know. I was a bit disappointed when greenkeepers got to go and mow the lawns, but we couldn't go and check on the mountains. Uh, and, I'm, and I mean that absolutely facetiously, I think. Um, one of the things that, as a, um, a people, that is just wonderful is when you look at the photos of what's happening around the world without hordes of people driving and polluting and and I think the mountains are looking after themselves absolutely beautifully without um, four and a half million tourists pouring all over them and pooing in the bushes. So long as the pest control doesn't get out of control. Yeah, I mean, there is that side of it, absolutely that side of it, yep. But I'm sure all the possums are all staying in their bubbles. Oh, I'm sure they are. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Hi there everyone, it's Liesel here in Bubble Land up in the Zooloftia, singing out to you today. Not singing, maybe singing, maybe singing, I don't know. Hello, there's my singing for today. <laughs> Actually I have been doing some singing, speaking of singing. Uh, one of the cool things about being in this uh, bubble, bubble of one, and uh, and being in lockdown, or you know, in various states of lockdown, um, yes, we we have this sort of uh, space where we can express ourselves, do we not? Um, well, especially in my bubble of one. Hopefully, with neighbours that don't uh, have any interest at all in what I'm uh, singing about up in the zoo loftier, because. Yes, I am enjoying being able to just, um, if I feel like singing, singing out loud, nice belting it out, uh, maybe more crooning sometimes, the occasional, uh, no, I don't, I don't tend to do much more beyond, no, there has been some opera, okay, there has been some opera, but it's, it's short-lived, it's not something that I uh, spend half an hour getting, getting involved in, but I just, I am actually really loving the fact that this is sort of this creative energy that comes out of you and I've actually I really enjoy music and um, play the piano and like to compose stuff usually just for myself but I with the with the wonders of technology and the time that has been on my hands um, it's been really cool to be able to actually just record some stuff so I've been making some music making some songs there may have been a song that was put out there uh, into the internet called uh, lockdown blues that's right um not referring to anything in particular folks but possibly it was day six and i needed to express myself so <laughs> as we've moved further into lockdown land i think um interestingly my music production has slowed down and i i think you know like a lot of things when you're a bit angsty or a bit sort of um you've got a lot of a lot of stuff going on a lot of emotions a lot of feelings about things uh, creativity, arts, music, dance, poetry, writing, creating things really often helps us sort of work through some of that stuff. So it's interesting, I've noticed that I, I'm not needing to sort of um, produce music for myself as much as I did when I first started. That said, I am still doing the odd uh, little aria out here in Zooloftia. Yeah, yeah, don't hold your breath on that one, folks. There's no career for me at all, but um, yeah. So that kind of brings me to what I was also thinking about, which was um, how we're sort of in this 
yeah, this creative sort of space, really. And while we don't have a lot of kind of input, because here we are in our little bubbles every day, doing our bubble things. I'm sure you've all got your little routines going, as as I do. Um, there's not a lot of new stuff going on, is there? Like, it's in a lot of ways, we're we're having to recycle. We're recycling our, you know, just what we wear what we what we sort of make for dinner probably we're we're probably thinking a bit more about what's in our houses what we can use because we can't go and just buy whatever we want so this idea of kind of like um being creative with what we've got and probably actually kind of appreciating the sort of simplicity of that because i know uh having just moved into my place just before lockdown I had managed to swing by the warehouse sort of two days I think before the lockdown hit me um, and buy a few shelves and things like that to get myself organised but there's been all these things that I haven't been able to sort of get. I think I talked about this in, in another little chat but I've had to be creative. I've, I've designed things out of boxes that I would have never used before and I've decided no I don't really need that thing actually was that really important to have no maybe I just need actually to reorganize things in a way that um, makes sense rather than buying new stuff to accommodate things and I think that's one of the cool things that's coming out of this space is our creativity so whatever it might be for you I think um, yeah use the creativity use the space to uh, just notice maybe how you're using things differently and um, maybe how we can use this going forward when we when we change up our lockdown criteria so take care out there I know it's not easy but you're doing a great job of just hanging in there and we'll talk soon thank you let's hear from Simon and Garfunkel bridge over troubled water Street when evening falls. 
this as an uplifting song (laughs) I think I first heard it at my grandfather's funeral yeah it's about caring for each other and it's about someone being there for somebody else and um, it was certainly an important song for me at a a particular time in in my life and um, I I think to me Simon and Garfunkel have got beautiful voices and wonderful guitarists but I I do love the poetry of of what they say um, and as, and at this time, I think that's one of the neat things to watch is is the, the difference that we're watching in New Zealand where um, we have a country that's expressing its humanity. Um, and we're not getting it 100%, right? Of course we're not. But we're putting it at the front of everything we're doing as a country. And I'm talking from us and the, and the neighbours right right through to, to the government. They're putting the people first. And, and that idea of... Um, being there for other people, I, I think that's just typifies what's so different about New Zealand through this this whole exercise. I think one of the things that we're going to have learnt is that be kind is not just a nice thing to say. It can actually be operationalised. It can drive policies. Yep. Yep. I mean, it was one of the things that, um, just coming back to the Alpine Club, one of the things that, that really struck me is that we've spent a lot of time as, as a board trying to define a, a, a proper strategic plan. And, and I know a lot of people's eyes glaze over when you talk about strategic planning. But one of the things that we, we talked about a lot was what are our assets? And one of our key assets as an Alpine Club is our reputation. And one of the things that absolutely delighted me when I this whole thing first blew up and we went to level four is we'd had a lot of people that had paid to go on courses that we were about to run. And of course, they were just stopped dead. And our general manager, just thinking of our reputation, immediately refunded everybody their money. And, and I think that's where you talk about operation. <laughs> You know, where the values become real. If we say our reputation is important and caring for our members is important, then giving their money back when we're not delivering the service is the absolute thing to do. 
Um, and of course, then when we sent out a plea sort of saying, you know, I wonder if you could keep your subscriptions flowing because that's the only money that we've got coming in. We get a flood of people saying, yeah, of course, yeah, no, that's no problem. I mean, there are people obviously that can have difficult times and, and, I, and I don't want it to sound as though this is 100% positive. Our staff um, are working on reduced hours. Um, and although we've given them a guarantee of full employment, un, you know, of you know the employment until um, the end of June, um, our board meeting tonight, we are going to have to sit down and make some pretty tough decisions about what do you do when you've got no income. You know, how do you keep um, people employed um, when you've got no income? Um, so you know, it, it's and we're not alone. There, there must be thousands of businesses throughout New Zealand and clubs and organisations who are going through the same thing. But it's that sense of um, kindness that, that, you know, coming back around the loop of the question, the sense of kindness that um, is so important, I think. I mean, I think for those of us whose income isn't affected, because we're still working, um, that... Yeah, we almost have a responsibility to, to continue to support the the people, the cafes, the, the, the societies, whatever, that we value. If we want them to yeah. be there when we come back, then we might not be getting the coffee now. And I Well, I mean there's a there's a huge message out of this whole thing. An absolute and I hope that people spend the time to to think about what's happened is that we've been so driven over perhaps the last 20 or 30 years of making things cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And suddenly we realise that most of the stuff that we take for granted doesn't even come from New Zealand anymore. And and when you look at, at food insecurity, and, and for whatever we talk about distribution channels and everything else like that, so much of our food doesn't come from this area. When we look at our clothes, Nothing comes, and and I think one of the things that I've made a personal commitment to um, is to genuinely buy local much, much more than I have in the past. And, and Let's hear from John Lennon and his mates. Strawberry Fields. Why do you like this one? Oh, this this is, I think, where, I mean, I, I was in a band at school like everybody was um, back in the 60s. And this was about the point where I realised that three chords don't make it anymore. And, and the Beatles had gone from, you know, She Loves You, which was three chords, to unbelievably complex music that moved in all sorts of areas. And, um, and it was just the wonder for me of discovering, and I think in many ways it led me into classical music, um, this era of the Beatles where... They were doing things that no one had ever done with a guitar and, and drums before. Um, and, and I'm still impressed the hell out of, of, of what they did at that era. Um, and they were like the rest of us guys. I mean, they weren't classically trained musicians. They couldn't even read music when they started, but the complexity of what they turned out. And I think, for me, the music stands up after, gosh, 50 years. Strawberry fields 
Tell us that nothing is real. <laughs> it seems appropriate for this kind of surreal time. You're talking before about um, taking things we take for granted not being available. I think that another thing is that the things that we took for granted as things that mattered turn out not to matter. Oh, isn't it? Isn't it been wonderful? And and I I don't know what we do about it as a as an organisation, even locally. But, I mean, you think of the people that really matter in your life today. They're the supermarket workers. They're the guy that still comes around in the rubbish truck and picks up your rubbish. There's some person, obviously, in my neighbourhood that puts the Otago Daily Times in my letterbox every morning. And almost everybody that we really, really rely on is probably not even on the living wage, let alone the average wage. And all the people that are earning an absolute fortune like unnamed um, radio and television personalities, um, delivering absolute drivel, and you think, what have we got so horribly wrong that that the, the staff member at Pack and Save who's leaving her family behind to come to work 
um, so that I can I can continue to eat and and, and live comfortably. Um, it, it's it's been a real eye-opener, and I actually get quite emotional when I think about um, how unimportant so much of the crap is, and and how little um, it all matters when you come down to the real things like can I still buy nice meat and craft beer? <laughs> so some questions to end with. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, um, I think as part of the strategic plan that we've been doing at the Alpine Club, we decided that we needed to have a greater focus on environmental concerns of, of the mountains. And we sort of sneaked it into the annual plan and into the strategic plan and sent it out to the members to see what they said. And that's the overwhelming support. It's probably the second most important thing that the members want us to support um, is caring for our environment. And I think that's a wonderful, wonderful success to have in that people want us to be more proactive, more outspoken. And, and I think if New Zealand returns to some form of tourism, I mean, I'd love to see the Alpine Club have a greater voice in protecting our environment and and not rushing to madly commercialise every bit of river or stream or hill that we can, um, just to try and squeeze another buck out of our environment. Because I think if one thing I've learned out of this whole last few years, really, um, and, and I know they're taking a politic quite a lot for this, there's a great appreciation of what uh, Maori people have been saying for years and years and years about land. And I think that the realisation that I've got out of this last few weeks really is that our land is not a resource. And, and the idea that the land is our mother or the land is someone that wraps its arms around you um, and we should be caring for and treasuring as a person that sustains you um, has become very, very real. And, and this nonsense that you know, our waterways and our farmlands are a resource. Um, it, it, that, it's, it's, it's certainly been the success for me um, personally. So we're writing a book of these conversations over on Sustainable Lens. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes, the team of people yeah. doing good works. So you're in that mansion. What's the superpower that got you there? <laughs> this is a, a really weird one. I've got a new knee, um, and and... I mean, it sounds a bit trivial, but a year ago, I mean, literally a year ago, May last year, um, I was a crippled old man. Um, I, I literally moved around on crutches. Um, I had become quite isolated um, physically and mentally. Um, and, and I think I was in many ways heading into quite a dark place um, in, in my own mind because um, I couldn't do the things I really wanted to do and, and the absolute love of the outdoors had been yanked away from me. And was fortunate enough to get what they call, um, you know, a total knee replacement, which is elective surgery. And they call it elective surgery because you elect to have it. You don't really need it, but you sort of pick to have it because it's a nice thing to have. And I just would love to make a plea that it's not a nice to have. For, for people, particularly in New Zealand, when you get to have a knee replacement on the public health system, I'd be waiting nearly six years, and it got to the point where... My life had, had come to an end, 
and to find now that I'm back tramping, biking, um, and contributing, um, and, and having fun and being alive, um, I'd, I'd like to just make a plug that, I know times are tough at the moment, but we need to stop calling it elective surgery as if it's something that we have because it's nice to have. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh, not enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do I do little bits here and there. I mean, one of the treasures I discovered in this last year was is um, a group in Dunedin called Critical Mass, um, who are a group of, of um, anarchist cyclists who get together on a Friday, the last Friday night of each month um, before COVID. And, and we get as many people as we can, and we bike up and down the streets just to make it obvious that bikers um, have a right to um, to use the roads. And, and it's become quite a neat group, and, and they're, they're certainly very um, outspoken and, and in a sensible way. Um, a lot of research from overseas that, um, um, that they find and, and share. But no, critical mass has certainly been one of the things that I've, I've enjoyed being involved in. With a bit of luck, all the people that haven't been able to drive their cars around, they've been walking and cycling, yes. will remember that that works. Yes. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, I, I think, you know, and it, it almost goes back to good vibrations. At the time when, you know, we were all pretending to be hippies, the belief was that we were going to leave a better world for our children and, and we, it was all going to be peace and love and we were going to care for the planet and we stuffed it up horribly. And, and I say that as a, a, the ultimate sort of baby boomer that, you know, and what gets me out of the bed in the morning at the moment in the last few years really is a belief that I still have time to speak out and do something about it. Um, I think I owe it to my kids and grandkids to try and get back to what we genuinely believed in, um, to try and treasure the earth, to try and get back to growing your own vegetables and, and leaving the car in the garage. And, and and even though I've got a few bucks now, and, and I can bike with an e-bike, um, and it's been fascinating this last month, we've used the car one day a week. Not two times a day, not three, one day a week. Um, and it annoys me because I've got a huge petrol discount vouchers from Pack and Save, <laughs> but, there's, but there's no room to take the bloody petrol. In it. But I mean, it's, it's joking aside. I mean, it's it's we have an opportunity, and, and this is the thing that we've been given a glimpse over the last few weeks of what New Zealand could be. And I would love to think that we can take um, advantage of this window of opportunity we've been given. And I'm certainly sitting here wrecking my brain thinking, what can I do? What can I do? Instead of just posting on Facebook, um, what can I do to make a difference? And as I say, just stupid things like I you know, genuinely think that um, becoming a free driver for a restaurant um, to help them back into business, I think that's something I could do. So of all of these societal changes that you have seen in the last month or so, what do you hope will stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you think will stick? And what do you hope will stick? I think people claiming back their, their city. Um, people being nice to each other. Um, 
just going back to a people focus for everything we do, what's what's really important for people? And and I know the importance of business, and I understand that you can't have a good society unless some income is being generated. But I think looking at people first and then looking at what business needs to support that and what we can do is the way to go, rather than the other way around, which is let's make money first and then we'll deal with the people thing later. Um, and as I said before about who we pay what, and um, I think as a society we need to, to think about those. Will it stick? I don't know. I mean, it, at my best, I hope so. And then you hear the government talking about shovel-ready projects of ripping into building motorways. And I'm going, seriously? Yeah, where did that I mean, one come at, from? Now look at Dunedin City Council even, where we've shut down the Torrey Gorge Railway for the, for the lack of a million or so bucks. But we're happy to spend 20 million to build a bridge that for a tourism venture that isn't going to go ahead. I mean, I think, why don't we just put the Tyree Gorge back on and run it from um, Port Chalmers to Mosgill every hour backwards and forwards free? Just don't worry yeah. about it, just run it free. Yeah. Lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yes, dig up your lawn and grow vegetables. One of the things <laughs> I've, I've just, I've been, it's been dithering around in my mind for a while now. Um, I was lucky when we bought this house, it's got two glass houses and a small vegetable garden um, and a medium-sized lawn. And I've been thinking for a while, why am I mowing this lawn? We don't have kids that play on it. It's on a hill. It's, it's, a, it's a waste, really. And then the absolute joy over the last few weeks of eating your own produce um, and not having to go out, you know, when you've run out of red peppers, there's just a whole bush of them growing in your glasshouse, or um, the carrots are just sitting there in the garden to pick. And I think um, if, if it's certainly what I'm going to start doing um, as soon as I can get back to the garden centre and get some more plants. But even then, you know, I, mean, I was at Pick and Save the other day and found cabbage seeds, so I've decided I'm going to grow my own cabbages from seeds. Yeah, grow, your, grow your own. Thank you very much for joining me. Been a pleasure, Sam. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and various other places too. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and I've been joined by Lindsay Smith in Shield Hill, Dunedin. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.